When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to another edition of the Caribbean Cricket Podcast, people. This is episode 80 of the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. And such is the shoddy nature of the start of this episode that I forgot to bring on my partner in crime. That's <laughs> okay. <laughs> How you doing? Yeah, yeah, I'm good, Mash. And we're, we're excited to have our guest on today's episode. I mean, his recent appointment notwithstanding, Mash, I know you've been messaging me for the longest time saying we need to get this guy on our podcast because I think in terms of coaching and extensive knowledge on the region, I think you'd be hard to find someone with more experience and understanding of the development structures in the region than the guest we have on today's show. So without further ado, Mash, do you want to introduce to the public who have we got on? Yep, we pride ourselves on the Caribbean Cricket Podcast of talking to all the key stakeholders around the region at various different levels of the game across the different, whether it be boys, girls, males, females, from Cricket West Indies down to regional coaches, down to um, people on the board, um, down to people running the cool and smooth T20. We, we want to talk to everyone across the region with regards to... Um, all the different kind of structures in West Indies cricket. And we're, we're delighted, to be honest, on episode 80, to get on the current interim head coach of the West Indies men's senior side, Andre Coley. So without any further ado, Santoki, let, let me bring him on fresh off, fresh off the first test, no less than 24 hours ago. He hadn't even had his time to do his cool down and stretches straight into an interview after the end of the first test with Zimbabwe. Let me bring him on. Andre, how you doing? Hey guys, perfect, perfect. Um, I, I, I think every the audio may be bit, bits and pieces. Let's just try that one again, Andre. You can hear us. Everything's cool. I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, we're all good. We're all good. That, that much better the second time round. Um, so, <laughs> so, so Andre, listen. People are going to crucify us if we don't talk about the first test match. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this the the easiest way. Let's just get that out of the way from the jump. 
so that we can actually talk about you, your career and everything straight afterwards. So, like I say, 24 hours out, maybe a tiny bit more out from the first test match, a gruelling five days, pretty much a day was lost to rain when you add up all of the overs that were that were taken out of the game. Well, as as hard as it might be, what's your immediate reflections on what is your first test match in fairness? Never even mind the players, just what's your immediate reflection on the kind of, as interim head coach, the, the test match with Zimbabwe? Well, I, I, I enjoy the test match. Um, you know, it's depending on who you would have a conversation with, you know, in, you know, that person may say that test cricket is dead. But if you if you were to follow all four days, barring the weather, um, you know, they, if you if you look at the fact that um, both teams declared, um, you know, and 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 a number of times, and that was really um, driven by the fact that either team was trying to to get a result to win the game, um, you know. So to say that Test cricket is dead, I mean, that was a that Test match was a good indication that you know, you, you can have a lot of energy um, and. Uh, a lot of good cricket being played. Um, so yes, I actually enjoy that. Um, unfortunate um, we weren't we weren't able to pull off the win, but I thought in the end we were in a very commanding position. Just out of interest, because it can often be the the hardest thing to assess when you're watching cricket on TV is what the conditions are truly like. I mean, you can see a scorecard and you can see people scoring hundreds, you can see wickets falling, but just from someone who is actually there on the ground, was it was it a flat deck? Um, was it something that more favoured the batters? Did bowlers have to work very hard to get wickets out? What? How did that pitch play for you? It's an interesting question because I mean, if you look at the number of runs that were scored um, in the match, just by a glance on, as you said, on a scorecard, it would suggest that it was a very flat track. Um, and uh, to be fair. It really required um, a lot of application from the batters, and whilst it may not have had offered a lot of of spin, for instance, or a lot of pace, um, there were occasions where it kept low, and and there was some bounce on offer, and because of this, the tactics of both teams, um, you know, if you you look back to the Test match, you know, I, I believe both teams generally bowled as straight as they could, um, just because of the nature of the pitch. So, so yes, it, it really required um, good application from the batters um, throughout the innings, um, but it also uh, required discipline from the bowlers. Um, you know, just just being fair with themselves to, to actually understand that you know on a track like that, it would have gone for some runs, but that a disciplined approach would potentially over time bring the results that he wanted. Um, so 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 that is why I really enjoyed. Um, that this test match because it was really a true test of discipline, true test of skill with bat and ball. Mm -hmm. Just, just one further thing to add up. Obviously, we've seen with um, Brendan McCollum in England, he's implemented a philosophy which the media have called Basball. Do you have a sort of philosophy and vision which you'd like to implement within this test side? And if so, what is that? Well. I believe this is something is still in a formative stage and it is something, you know, regionally where, you know, we want to get to. I mean, our style of play, West Indians are known for being very dynamic, um, you know, in any part of the game, you know, electric, electrifying fielders, you know, you know, we, we hit the ball a mile, you know, we've been known for our fast bowling and, and spin. Um, but in our, in our team, because of the versatility that we do have, 
um, you know, we want to be able to put ourselves in a position as much as possible to keep the game moving along. Um, and that is that is really our philosophy. You know, every time we play a match, the mindset must be about trying to win the game. And at each juncture, um, how do we win a game? So you may, you may, you know, you saw in the first innings, for instance, where there was some adjustment made to the order because we thought that we wanted to move things along, um, score at a faster rate. Um, in the second innings, we, we you know, we reverted to the original order. Um, so, you know, it, 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 that's really the mindset, you know, that, that we have. We really want to make sure that we, you know, we play a dynamic brand of cricket that keeps the game alive and keep it moving forward. We're at the end. In the end, um, the, 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 the desire is to actually to win each match. It's, it's, it's interesting, Andre, because um, when, when you would have been appointed interim head coach, um, dependent on how well people know the, the the domestic scene in West Indies cricket, and that I'm talking about people within the Caribbean or outside of the Caribbean, I feel like <laughs> I feel like you've done everything <laughs> that, that, that there is. To no, do. I, I, I don't. I know that anyone can can ever say that they have done everything. <laughs> but, but, but from a coaching perspective, I mean, prior to this appointment, you're what you were working with the West Indies Academy. You've done a stint with Wimmer Islands. You've worked with West Indies women, senior side. Um, Jamaica Scorpions. You're now with the, the men's senior side. So I think at this juncture, it'd be really good for people to understand your journey. And you might think you really want to know about my journey, but people do need to know, Andre, because one of the hardest things to grasp in West Indies cricket is is something like a person's personal journey because news sources aren't out there. And I can tell you now that when you would have been appointed, there would have been plenty of people going, so who, who is this guy? And trying to find <laughs> sources of news here, there and everywhere. So in your own words, Andre, talk us through your your kind of journey, particular. well, actually you can go from playing the game to, to where you are now. I don't know, I don't know how long it's going to take, but, I'm, <laughs> but the floor is yours to tell us all the same. <laughs> um. I think in a phrase, um, I would I would uh, describe myself as a homegrown coach. So you know, you know, as you mentioned, I would have played for Jamaica, played you know a handful of first class matches, list A matches, um, and then got into coaching um, reluctantly. So somewhere around two thousand and five, two thousand and six, with my background being wicketkeeper batter, you know, I was asked, I think back then by Jeffrey Dijon, um, who was director of cricket. Um, to to assist with a wiki keeping camp, um, and I actually enjoyed it. Um, you know, reluctantly I, I I took it on, um, and then I enjoyed it. And and subsequent to that, you know, I was given uh, youth team coaching roles in Jamaica. So the under national under 15s I did for a few years, and the under 19s which I did um, for a number of years as well. And then I was asked to coach the um, Westerns under 19 in the, in 2010. Uh, the under 19 world cup um so i'd started to 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 enjoy the coaching and 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 taking on these um uh, opportunities and then by nature most people who, who know me would know that i would seek out a challenge consistently mm -hmm. so i'm always i've always been someone who's consi consistently tried to challenge myself and if there's an opportunity to get stretched i would i'd pretty much apply for it or try to embed myself in it to to see where I was at, or, or and and then for the better part of it, if I could add value, 
Um, so then, obviously, that um, coming on from the youth teams and so on, I, you know, I, start, I was involved in the academy, each high performance center in 2010, uh, which was which was um, based in Barbados, and 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 the senior teams, all the Westerners teams, used to come through that facility um, in preparation for international tours, and that is how I got my first. Um, taste of international coaching when Otis Gibson was coach at the time and he asked me to join his coaching his coaching team. Uh, at the time, he had asked me to, to join as a fielding coach, which I spent a couple of years with him. And then when he left, um, Phil Simmons took up the job. I stayed on, um, you know, and I thought I really enjoyed that. Um, Stuart Law, I stayed on for a bit with him. Um, and I was actually enjoying that. But I think in the back of my mind, I always wanted to wanted to the responsibility of leading a team and when I say team not just of players but a diverse um, support staff and so I had left that international scene for a while and I, I, I you know I wanted to take on first class cricket coaching mm. which I did for about five years between the Windward Islands you know I wanted to step out of Jamaica and try something different culture and so on which I really enjoyed that experience with the Windward Islands um, and then I, I was back in Jamaica spent a couple of years there as well about three years there um, and then the, the academy um, opportunity came up and you know I, I, I reached out for it and so that so that in itself is is still within a year hasn't completed a year of engagement with that and then obviously this came on where you know you know this role and I was asked you know to fill it um, uh, you know obviously to, to be asked something, of this nature, I mean, it's, a, it's an honor to, to lead your, your your country and the region. So I, I thought about it, discussed with my family, but I, in the end, I didn't think that, uh, you know, I could step away from it. Um, and it was a time of need. And I felt that, you know, it was a, another challenge that I could embrace. Um, and, and and here I am. So that has brought me to, to where I am now. Um, but um, I think just the experiences that I've had in the last, I would say, better part of 10 years, 10, 12 years, which is where I would have spent most of my international exposure from youth cricket to women's cricket to men's cricket um, has given me a wide perspective on, on where the game is at. And, um, you know, and leading diverse groups, working with different players, I would have had interaction with every single player in the squad at some point, yeah. whether as an under-19 player, as an academy player, whether through first-class cricket. So... So I would have had some touch point with these players. Um, so 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 it was really it was really um, I saw it as a good opportunity um, to to take on this challenge, and I've I've been enjoying it. Um, needless to say, obviously leading a diverse group at this level obviously comes with daily challenges, but I've really been enjoying it. I've you know I've, I've had the support of everyone, so it's it's been good. So in a nutshell, that's really what. <laughs> What I've done between 2005 and and now um, across all all levels of the game. Listen, <laughs> Santoki, I want you to come in on this, but uh, Andre's basically worked with every single player in the whole Caribbean. <laughs> so no. No, 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 connections, no, no, no. connections in every island. <laughs> but but it's interesting oh. what you <laughs> it's interesting what you just said at the end though because. I actually didn't know you were uh, the coach at the 2010 World Cup. And then you've just alluded, uh, under-19 World Cup, I should say. So you've just alluded to it, because I was about to pivot and say, well, if you were coach then, most of the squad now 
not most, but a lot of the squad now were probably with you as under 19 players. So, um, I'm trying yes, to think. Yes, I think Craig Brathwaite's sees year under 19 would have been 2011. So maybe he played 2010 um, as well with you. So um, how many of this current squad do you remember working with at youth level? Mm, off the top of my head, forgive me if I miss one or two, but I, I would say, so I would say maybe Craig, um, Jason, um, Jermaine, um, uh, would that be it from this group? But I would have been, but I would have worked with them in other West Indies, in previous West Indies teams. So like Shane, course, Shane yeah. Dowich, Shane Dowich, um, uh, Shea Hope would have no, not Shea Hope. That's more around the academy. So from from this team, maybe three mm. or four from 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 that under nineteen World Cup, and then from that World Cup, maybe about seven, seven or right. eight who would have been in it uh, at yeah. the international level eventually. Right. So Santoki, take it away. <laughs> where where do I start? There's so many places we could start, but I'd be interested to know, Andre, you mentioned you played a few first class games and list A games for Jamaica in the mid to late nineties. In your opinion, what has been the differences in terms of improvements or a decline in terms of the regional game since your playing days compared to now, having worked in the setup in between those years? Uh, I think the standard I can remember playing as a as a as a teenager the standard of youth cricket in in the region um was so high um that we it was very common for someone for a young for a teenager to actually challenge for a place in the first class team having come out of the under 19 setup or even before leaving the under 19 setup so if you think about the sar ones and the um you know brian laras the um jimmy adams um, Marlon Samuels, you know, so these are some of the guys who were already playing first class cricket and so on as teenagers. Um, because, and I could remember playing these matches. And if you actually won, so it was six teams, six territories, so you play five matches. So, and, and at that time, I can distinctly remember if you were, if we were able to win at least one or two of those games outright you're pretty much guaranteed to win the tournament because the, the competition was so stiff that most of the games ended in draws. Um, and 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 then, um, you know, we, we got into the... And then it took me a while to actually break into the first-class setup because the standard was was so tough. So I think I I started going to the senior trials at around age 17 and didn't actually... 17, 18, I didn't actually play my first and didn't actually debut until I was 23. Just you know, he had to keep knocking on the door. Um, you know, and the standard was so high. Um, so, so I, I, I just believe that if the grassroots of the game is strong, then it is, it is, it is, it actually just speaks for itself. So the levels above um, will be stronger. And I think I believe that that is where we really need to focus. Um, our, I also believe that having that academy, restarting that academy, is a good thing. Um, so if we can actually keep that up and running and keep improving on that as well as trying to find a way to improve the cricket in the schools um, you know getting strong basics and so on um, I think that is where it really it really it really lies it's difficult to try to difficult to try to fix it when players are 22 23 um, you know so but obviously we have the players we have so we have to 
you know, we have to work with them as best as possible to fulfill their potential. Um, and I do believe we have a, a winning group, a winning, you know, group of players in the Caribbean right now. Um, you know, but one of the challenges we have, obviously, is the different formats around the world and availability and so on. So it's very possible that we may not be able to have what we consider to be our best players um, consistently. Um, but we have, I believe, enough players to be very competitive in all formats. Um, so, yeah, if I was to identify one thing, was to strengthen the, um, the level below first-class cricket um, and then gradually chip away at improving our standards in first-class cricket. And I believe that within five years, five to ten years, we should see some significant um, improvement in the standard of our game. It's, it's, it's interesting you mentioned the levels below because that's probably a good... Uh, a good segue into the work you've been doing in the last, it's not even a year really, actually probably last six months, um, six to seven months with the, uh, with the young men in the academy. Um, and obviously we saw the West Indies Academy side in the Super 50 um, last year. Um, and we saw some promising performances from quite a few youngsters, whether that be a Wickham, whether that be a Keegan Simmons or whatever it might be. How difficult, so I mean, you've made reference to under 19 in your playing days. How difficult is it for the current crop of under 19, well, say under 19 is like 20, 21, 22, 23, within that kind of professional environment within the West Indies Academy? How big is that gap? Um, what's the biggest difference you notice between their kind of um, skills enhancing and then playing in? Um, first-class matches against the the established territory sides or do you believe that the the raw talent is there what what's the missing gap for some of those players and it must be said before you answer that we must celebrate the fact that five of that academy squad are currently playing in the domestic um first uh, west indies championship right now essentially having been recognized by their territories for i would argue their improvement so there there are clear signs that the academy structure in its early days is reaping some rewards and benefits uh yes i mean just to touch on that academy program as i said it's still in its infancy based on this new um approach it's slightly different kind of uh structure to the one that i was involved in 10 years um 10 to 12 years ago where we actually had a lot more contact time with the players. And say, and in, in in that period, we, you know, initially we would spend about 12 weeks with the players. This one actually contact time initially was around four weeks. And then obviously people had to then get back to the territories to do different things. So um so as you said, it's actually heartening to see some of the players who weren't involved in their first class teams before have actually been given opportunities. And what we have tried to do is that for some of those who are able to, who have been able to find um, additional playing options or experiences in the game. Um, so in, we have one player who is actually in Dubai with one of the the um, LT20 squads. We have a player in the SA20, um, you know, who who be doing quite well there. Um, and we and what we try to do is probably position them in other if there's if, if there's other local domestic tournaments that are going on we try to see if there are clubs who would like to have them on board and so on but the key is that every single player is as we speak is involved in something or is experiencing some kind of of cricketing um, mm. opportunity um, and we, so that's what we're really we're really ha happy about 
Um, and, and as we go forward, the, the program will evolve. Um, you know, I think it's very important that we, we don't have a very, that we have a more longer term view of, of what we expect to happen versus a quick fix because mm -hmm. of the rhetoric over recent, you know, over the, the years, maybe say last five to 10 years. Um, and I think that is, that is where we are, if we are patient enough and, you know, and we're willing to hold and, and have more of a longer term view and, and able to support these guys over a longer period of time, then we will see, I believe, better results, um, you know, at the end. Mm. I'm not sure if that answers your question. No, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I was just checking. Santoki, you coming in? Yeah, yeah. And I think it's also important to remember you're also taking over the um, white ball tour matches against South Africa. And um, it's interesting because obviously this report came out with Ju Justice Thompson, Brian Lara and Mickey Arthur about how West Indies can improve their white ball fortunes. One thing I want to touch on because you'd, you'd be well versed in kind of understanding this situation is the report recommended that players such as Nicholas Poran and Evan Lewis should be in the test side, um, currently only white ball exclusive players, should be in the test side, not only to benefit the test side, but to benefit their own white ball game. Where do you sort of stand on this and how do you sort of see the pathway? We've talked about players developing in the academy, players who are kind of in the peak of their career. How do you see it, the development pathway in terms of getting them into the test side when they're currently only white ball exclusive players? Well, that's, a, that's a very interesting question. And I mean, against the landscape that we're, we're in now, um, you know, the majority of our players play a lot of white ball cricket. So whether it's, you know, the T20, T10. Um, I do believe, though, that conversations, this all of this, this solution starts with conversations. Um, and bottom line has to be, are we able to have the majority of our best players playing for us consistently? Um, if not, how do we go about it? So conversations in terms of, you know, what the plan is for each year, I think is important against the background of all these international franchise tournaments, against the future tours program of the ICC. And we actually have a sit down or a telephone conversation or whatever with each player to actually, you know, discuss where each player would stands in our present setup. Um, come to some kind, get a, get a feel from the player as well in terms of what their aims and objectives are and then come to some kind of mutually um, beneficial position which allows us to have our best players but then also allow uh, some of our best players to rub shoulders with some of the world's best players because that's what they do when they play these franchise tournaments. Um, and then we, we also can't divorce the fact that um, this is also livelihood of the players. So obviously they are, this is where they earn a lot of their money away in these franchise tournaments and so on. Um, and I'm sure if you speak to a lot of these players, they really want to play for West Indies. Um, so it's really, I believe it really comes down to the timing of tournaments and, and scheduling and then having this relationship with each player where, you know, we're able to, to know who's, who's going to be playing for us at different times. Um, and so on. But I'm sure that the, the, the powers that be will be scouring that um, report um, with a view to come, trying to implement some of those those things. Um, yeah, but I, I, I believe it. a lot of it starts with conversations because then you know, you start to engage people, they feel like part of the solution and then 
Um, you know, you, you, you may be on one side thinking one thing, but a player may think be thinking something else because he has a completely different perspective. And you can only you can only get an idea of where he's coming from or where they're coming from by having a conversation. Um, then you 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 kind of see where the alignment is or the misalignment is, and and then you're able to then work out how can we then just dovetail things. So that's my personal view on it. Thank you for that, Andre. And um, I'm going to use that then to to, to follow up with this. Um, and granted, we're in the middle of the test series and we can't lose sight of that. But with those uh, white ball games also coming up in South Africa, um, you have a chance to to also get back into some white ball cricket. And uh, we must remember that, of course, um, and I, I hope Santoki will uh, like this, of course, the Jamaica Talawas won CPL um, last year. And you you were part of that setup um, with um, Shiv and Kirtley Ambrose, etc. And the, the reason why I make reference to that Talawas victory, it was very much against the odds. I don't think anybody had the Talawas down as a side to win that win series. Well, put it this way, I didn't, and I'm Jamaican. <laughs> so I don't think anyone <laughs> had the Talawas down to win the, uh, last year. Um, but the reason why I ask you that is, based on that experience around T20, what do, what's, what do you see as kind of, I guess, what was key in winning that competition? And what kind of lessons might you have learned from that particular experience, looking ahead to then having to take a West Indies uh, side into, I know there's ODIs as well, but into some T20 games? Well, I mean, I, I thoroughly enjoy that experience. Obviously, you don't, you don't necessarily see a lot of the stuff that happens on a daily basis, but, you know, there were interesting challenges along the way. Um, and you may not have known as well, but the Talawas would then, would now have been my third CPL team um, because I'd previously I'd spent a couple of years with the uh, with the Saint Lucia franchise and and I also spent a couple of seasons with the with the, with the Saint Kitts franchise when they when they first entered the CPL. Um, so um, the Tala was 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 then um, my third team and then obviously it being a Jamaica team was also made it made in the success even more even a lot sweeter. Um, that, but you know, in terms of, of of you know what drove that success was really the, the value. So Ravman's power leadership, I thought, was was really good around the T Twenty setup, and he has a lot of experience around that. He's played a lot of that around the world. Um, you know, the, the leadership group within the team um, was also quite solid and 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 really rallied together. Um, you know, around each other, and 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 as a support staff i thought we were pretty close knit and we we really worked behind the scenes to support um, um shiv as the head coach um and and i just believe from the start we had a we had a mission and it was it always was brought to mind every single practice every match whether it is that we won or we lost um it was never thought that it was if we lost a game that we were out of it we were all we always thought that you know you, you know win these tournaments and you're going to lose um, but we always wanted to take the good things from each game and, and if it is that we were consistent then we knew that we had the the, um, the players with the skill um to be able to to win um one of the key things as well like you mentioned it is adaptability so if you think about the tournament and the tournament moving around so we started in st kitts um and i believe we moved to st lucia um and we went to um, trinidad and guyana 
So being able to adapt at a very, you know, very short, short space of time or period of time to the different surfaces, uh, different time, you know, match timings, you would have some games that would start in the morning when the pitches potentially were probably a little fresher versus in the afternoon versus evening where they probably were a little bit drier. Um, you know, so just having that ability and that expertise within the team to be able to adapt to those changing conditions and, and then being able to plan out how we were going to go about things um, coupled with good leadership. I thought that was those were the key elements um, that actually drove our success. Listen, uh, before I hand to Santoki to, to try and wrap this one up, uh, I want to I get this out there as well. So, <laughs> and if you don't want to answer this question, Andre, I'm, giving, I'm allowing you to say you know what pass. <laughs> is this a bouncer? Is this is this a bouncer? Should I get my helmet? Is this a bouncer? I'm, I'm, I'm coming up a long runoff, run up here. <laughs> but um, Andre, should should um, you the team go to South Africa and we do well, pick up some victories that people didn't expect, so on and so forth, and then say the 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 hierarchy in cricket West Indies turns to you and says, well. We 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 scoured for the, the next West Indies permanent head coach, and we'd like to actually offer it to you. What are you saying, Andre? <laughs> what are you saying? You take why? the same. Why? Why? If I listen, if I if I had a dollar for every time I've been asked this question, why? I mean, let me tell you, the piggy bank, the piggy bank would have been busted. <laughs> um. But but yes, and you know, I'll be straight up and say that um, I really enjoyed this this opportunity um, and the challenge. And I, I knew coming into the role that it potentially was going to be something. Being an assistant coach at this level versus head coach, obviously, completely different things. Um, mm. You know, so, and I've, I've really, I really I knew that coming in that it was going to be a challenge, and um, I really I've really enjoyed it, and and I've embraced it. I haven't gone past. Um, March at the moment, just because you know my focus is just really been on getting to build, you know, focusing on building rapport with the players and staff and strengthening that, and then making sure that we're constantly positioning ourselves to, to win matches. Um, so, so yeah, you know, results are really, really important for us and for me, obviously, you know, in the interim role. So, my focus is really just around the next six weeks, uh, what's remaining on you know, in this position. Um, and I, I feel when that time comes around and if I'm given an opportunity to make a decision on it, whether it is to apply for it or whatever, um, then I'll, I'll shift my mental focus to that. Mm. But for now, it's really just trying to do the best job I can for um, with the team, the different teams in the in the time frame that I've been asked to, to, to lead and serve. Well, well, well defended outside the off stump. I like that. <laughs> 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 Mash, I think Mash, I think with all with all the insights Andre's offered, um, I think we could easily make the show two, three hours talking about West Indies cricket. But he's West Indies head coach. He's got a plan of victory in the second test against Zimbabwe starting on Sunday. So I oh. think it's perfect, Mash, that he mentioned the different stadiums he visited during the CPL because that leads us into the big final question, which we ask all our guests on the show. Mash, do you want to take it away? Indeed, I do. So, Andre, everyone has to answer it. Anybody who comes on for the first time on the podcast, and you're no different, I'm going to give you three. We're going to give you three questions to end. First one, uh, you can answer them all in order. Uh, first one, what is the best ground?
to play cricket on cricket on in the Caribbean. That's the first one. Second one, who is the best player, batter, sorry, you have played with or seen in your career? And thirdly, same but best bowler. So best ground to play on in the Caribbean, best batter you've played with or seen live, best bowler you've played with or seen live. That's the three questions you got to end the show. Like, huh. uh, I think might depending your, on you might, lose, you might lose your job with these answers, you know. So, <laughs> so think carefully. <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just saying that. I mean, the different. You know, you talk about different conditions. I mean, different pitches in the Caribbean now offer different things. And if you have a, if you have a good idea offer, then you're able to kind of set things up, your strategy around that, and so on. Um, but I would say probably. Uh, the pitches that would probably offer the best balance in terms of, let's say, a test match and having a result and a good test with bat and ball, um, I would say um, Sabayana Park and St. Lucia. <laughs> so, well, so, so well, Darren well, your Stadium. First, your first answer, your first answer wins, Sabayana Park. <laughs> <laughs> Why? No, well, listen, I'm I'm a bit partial to Darren Sammy Stadium as well, but I've also seen that I mean the improvement of the pitch at Sabina. So I hope I don't get strung up for all of that for that. Um, um then the next one was best is this in from a coaching standpoint or even playing or what? Whichever way you wanna whichever way you wanna interpret. You could take both, but um yeah, whichever whichever way you want to interpret it. Um, for, for me, I, I believe in experiences. So, and obviously you want to play to win. So there are a wide range of grounds around the world. Always, um, but I like atmosphere and, and I'm an outdoorsy guy. I like nature. So any ground that really actually shows that or offers that versus a concrete stadium is really will get my pick. Um, most of the times, um, so you know, I would probably say I actually enjoyed. Oh man, I think I think I've en I've enjoyed cricket um, at stadiums with mounds. So like Super Sports Park, I think I've I've enjoyed. Um, mm, Basin Reserve, um, I believe. I'd have to give it a bit more thought, but I mean, I it's not only the result for me; it's really just the atmosphere that's there. Mm -hmm. um, um, so those are the two that kind of jump out at me at the moment. Um, I actually like, I actually enjoy quite a few of the grounds in New Zealand. I just like the way that they in, they they, they um, incorporate nature in the ground, and you you feel that kind of you know almost close to the fans, and the cricket atmosphere is quite good. Um, which you know we love that in the West Indies, so you know we like to be close to that. So, um, and then uh, and then the it's a best batsman and best bowler. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Chris, Chris Gale I've, might I've, be watching I've, this one, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think obviously, I think, I think Brian over the years is just the way he's played. Um, 
it was you know the time you know teams he was playing in and just he was just a special to score the volume of runs that you know and the way he looks scoring it chris i believe is up there as well because he has runs in all formats mm. um obviously brian would not have played a lot of t20 and so on um, you know but yeah chris is quite destructive um but yeah when he's on the go um so yeah is that is that tight and probably partial to lefties so um maybe brian and chris uh, maybe brian i'd say and then bowler mm. i like i <laughs> i just i just i just enjoyed watching um my um Mikey, Mikey holding ball. It's just, just a, just a, just the rhythm of the man and just, yeah, just effortlessness. But you know, almost deadly at the at the next end with that spear coming at you. Yes, I would say Mikey. I actually enjoyed watching Mikey holding, and sometimes I do watch, just you know, go back and watch videos of him bowling. Listen, listen, because I've always. That's huh? that's more than enough. You you don't have to continue because I'm gonna let Santoki come in and close it. Santoki, what are you saying? Andre said Jamaica to the world, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say spoken spoken like a true Jamaican, you know. <laughs> boy, I was trying to come up with the balance, you know. Oh, boy, I did say Brian. I did. I did say Brian. Right? Yeah, no, you did. Yeah. You did. You did. He said <laughs> he said Brian Lawa because Brian's in the next room. <laughs> Listen, so I'll, you, uh, I'll let you close it. Yeah, right, um, right. you put me on the spot. It's been, a, it's been an absolute pleasure, Andre. Thank you for giving up your time to come on the show. Valuable insights and all the best. Looking forward to the Zimbabwe second test and the South Africa series. So thank you very much for taking some time out to appear on the show. Yeah, thanks. I mean, I really enjoyed it, the, the time. It's good to have, you know, in a job like this, sometimes you don't, you, you miss the importance of having some laughs as well. So I want to thank you guys for but you know, giving some of those some of those laughs, and then I, I think also just just big up your um the viewers and and listeners and so on. I don't think I recall doing that at the start, but um, all the best to everybody in the new year. You know. Thank you, thank you so much, Andre, and thank you, like I say, for taking some time to come on, ladies and gents. That's been episode eighty of the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. Thank you for listening as ever. Thank you, and good night. Network. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press one. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press two. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over a hundred social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.